episode is brought to you by the American Urological Association. Okay, our our next lecture is a Journal of Urology lecture. Rob Siemens had already teed me up for this. And then, of course, Dr. Eggener's lecture really sets us up. Surgery, harm surgeons, what can we do? And our presenter is Kevin Turner, consultant urologic surgeon, visiting professor from uh, the UK. You're there. Thank you, and good morning. It's a great pleasure and honor to deliver this year's Journal of Urology lecture, Surgery, Harm Surgeons, What Can We Do? And this lecture is uh, drawn largely from the editorial which I was privileged to write for the Journal of Urology, uh, published in October. If what I say this morning or what I wrote in that editorial is of interest, then please do contact me. I would be delighted to hear from you. I bring you greetings from the southernmost part of the United Kingdom, an area of outstanding natural beauty with the New Forest National Park, a world heritage site with the Jurassic Coast, the highest concentration of thatched roofs anywhere in the world, and home to Bournemouth, where I work, a spa town really uh, invented by the Victorians for rest and recuperation, now a thriving conurbation that retains many of its original Victorian features. I want you to uh, enter into an assumption with me. Um, assume that something happens to surgeons because of surgery, that affects them profoundly, how happy they are, how healthy they are, how they treat their families, how well they sleep, how much they drink, even how well they do their job. Assume that we as a surgical, surgical community know that, recognize that, and could even do something about that, and assume that we have chosen not to. That's the problem. The problem is that adverse events, as you've heard so eloquently explained already this morning, adverse events in surgery harm surgeons. And as Scott Egner touched on, of course, we've known about this for a long time. I also love this quote from René Lariche, a frustratingly capable surgical polymath, and I, I reckon he probably wrote this about a hundred years ago. Every surgeon carries within themselves a small cemetery where from time to time they go to pray, a place of bitterness and regret, where they must look for an explanation for their failures. More contemporary, two quotes from North America, no other profession, no other profession that demands elite performance has devoted so little to the well-being of its practitioners. Peter Yu, transplant surgeon, Yale. We all hide our grief, suffer in silence. The pain can be close to debilitating. A US surgical trainee in the Boston Intraoperative Surgical Adverse Events Surgeon's Attitude Study. So if that's the opinion, well, what's the evidence? Well, of course, there's a large prevalence literature that looks at the prevalence of burnout and stress and other aspects of mental health in surgeons. There is an incidence literature that looks at the frequency of errors and their impact. And there's a literature that links these two things, that links error to burnout, for example, in a way which is bi-directional. Each makes the other more likely. 
But the existing literature in this space is limited. It's limited because it's insufficiently surgeon-specific. And I know I speak to a friendly audience when I suggest that there are unique or nearly unique aspects of surgical practice which make surgeons worthy of particular study. And the literature is limited because it conflates and confuses error and complication. And intuitively, as surgeons, we recognise that there is a difference between those two, but the literature has failed to recognise that difference. Now, there is some surgeon-specific literature on how surgeons are affected when things go wrong. 2007, Waterman, a large study with a significant proportion of surgeons who found that adverse events make surgeons anxious, lose confidence, sleep less well, have reputational concerns. Patel, 2010, smaller study, exclusive to surgeons. Adverse events impair surgeons' ability to do their job, stop them concentrating, reduce their sleep, impair their leisure activities, make them drink more. And reviewing literature, Sidia Subramania, 2021, comments that the impact of adverse events on surgeons is largely negative and has unreported emotional and behavioural responses. There is an interesting and unclear relationship with seniority. And all of these studies agreed that surgeons are appallingly bad at seeking help. That final study identifies some gaps in the literature and makes recommendations. That complication should be defined. That the surgical community should consider prevention, education and awareness about the impact of adverse events. That proactive support in advance for surgeons has not been studied. That when a complication does occur, that the support should be tailored psychologically. And that the efficacy and impact of these pre- and post-event support structures should be evaluated. Last year, the group which I co-lead in Bournemouth published the results of a large UK-based study where we looked in detail at the impact that adverse events have on surgeons in the UK, collecting data about the nature of the event, what happened, how serious was it, what were the sequelae, was there professional sanction? And also data about the surgeon, what are you like psychologically, and most importantly, how did the adverse event affect you? And our results resonate with the existing literature that adverse events make us feel awful, and I mean truly awful. Around about 50% of our respondents said they were more angry, more irritable. A similar proportion said they slept less well. Most admitted to increased anxiety. Many drank more alcohol. Our study population was divided into those who had experienced complications and errors, and we put some effort into trying to define the difference between the two. And I confess there's a grey area here, but the extremes are easy to identify. And perhaps unsurprisingly, we found that errors affect surgeons more in each of those key areas, key ways in which surgeons are affected. And that's really important for the grey areas. 
because sometimes a surgeon will identify an adverse event as a result of personal error when it is in fact a result of surgical complication and helping surgeons to see the difference between the two could be helpful as they recover from the impact of an adverse event. Trainees of course face all the same issues that non-training surgeons face and many more concerns about increased reputational risk of carrying with them to the next placement the baggage of something that had gone wrong. All of our respondents said that training should prepare surgeons for the impact of adverse events, but none of them said that it had. Our respondents said we don't know what to do with each other when this happens, and we don't know how to prepare each other before it does. So sticking with the theme of that last point, how can we prepare, can surgeons be made more resilient? And here, forgive me that I use the term resilience to encompass what psychologists might see as slightly separate things of resilience, psychological flexibility, grit. Perhaps those things are subtly different. They might even mean different things on the opposite sides of the pond. But for the purposes of the talk, let's stick with resilience. What is resilience? Resilience, the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. So said the American Psychological Association, but most of us, I think, would be comfortable with the term resilience, meaning the ability to bounce back. What isn't resilience? Resilience is not something that you're born with a fixed amount of, and during your life, you gradually dip into and, and deplete as things go wrong. Neither is resilience a fixed personal quantity where you're born with more or less than the next person. Resilience is in fact something which is itself not resilient. It goes up and down. And outside of medicine, in other workplace-based psychology studies, it's well recognized that resilience can be enhanced. Resilience is a two-edged sword. It does place the focus of responsibility on an individual. And there's been some backlash against that. Don't tell me to be more resilient when the problem lies not with my personal resilience, but the inadequacy of the institution or system that employs me. But whatever you think about that, there will always be a need for personal resilience, and particularly in surgeons. Can surgical resilience be modified? Well, we think so, and I hope Later this year, we will publish the results of a randomised controlled trial where we randomise surgical trainees to receive or not to receive fairly simple resilience and psychological flexibility training interventions, three two-hour sessions over an approximately three-month period with someone trained to do these kind of interventions with surgeons. And using validated measures, we demonstrate that resilience can be enhanced by an intervention like that, that the incidence of burnout can be reduced, that, that psychological distress can be reduced. And perhaps most importantly and most exciting for me is that self-compassion can be increased. And this is really important because self-compassion is identified as a protective factor against the development of subsequent mental health pathology. So preparing surgeons before adverse events is, of course, critically important, but adverse events will always happen, and we will always need to support each other after them. And this is why. This is a urologist who emailed me 
and said, I felt and feel very guilty, but I remain disappointed by the lack of support from my employer. I felt I was treated like a criminal first, rather than any duty of care to me as an employee doing his job. I found it very difficult to talk about at home. It was only the support of my colleagues that enabled me to get through that period. And of course, surgeons, picking up that last sentence, have always supported each other. And you've already heard this morning about the value in surgeons supporting each other. All of that support, I'm sure, is well-meaning, but it's not all good. And even if it is, then surely we live in an era where we can support each other better than just drawing a line alongside someone and saying, you're good, I'd let you operate with my family, get back on your horse. So in the UK a couple of years ago, we put together a group of key stakeholders who had something to say and contribute into the discussion about how surgeons might be best supported after an adverse event. We brought together surgeons and psychologists, representatives of the Royal College of Surgeons, experienced managers, the Doctors' Trade Union, the British Medical Association, one of the major indemnifiers, the Medical Defence Union and academics, and working together with the Royal College of Surgeons, we wrote a report which made recommendations about how surgeons, or perhaps more importantly, about how institutions that support surgeons should look after surgeons after an adverse event, with a focus exclusively on their well-being. Other systems exist to deal with duty of candour and so forth, but this is about looking after the affected surgeon. Does post-event surgical support work? El Heki 2020, Massachusetts General, a similar program in concept and design and delivery to ours in the UK, reported their one-year results of 47 interventions with surgeons and their program of support was well received, effective, sustainable, liked both by the surgeons receiving support and those delivering it and identified as bridging the gap between the informal support which surgeons have always offered to each other and the very small proportion of surgeons who might need something more professional and more in-depth. And this kind of support is not difficult to deliver. We trained a cohort of surgeons in one morning. All we asked is that they were interested and displayed the personality characteristics that might make them suited to this kind of approach. So given what we know now, I think we have overwhelming evidence to suggest that every surgeon should be taught during their training about the impact that adverse events could, and given the inevitability of adverse events, will have upon them. That every hospital where surgeons are employed should have a programme where surgeons can offer peer-to-peer -peer support to each other by surgeons who've had some training to do so. And that specific resi resilience intervention training for surgeons should be developed. That's what we know now. What might we know? Well, of course, we are not all the same, despite what people say about surgical personality stereotypes. You can be a highly effective surgical practitioner, bringing all kinds of personality types. And we vary in our degree of neuroticism and extroversion and conscientiousness. And yet we know that those personality types can be linked to different mental health outcomes. And we have data in my group in Bournemouth which demonstrates that the degree of resilience and psychological flexibility that surgeons have can mediate between their personality type and the effect that an adverse event will have upon them. And I don't think we're too far away from being able to tailor individual resilience training interventions, not just across the board for surgeons, but tailored for surgeons based on what they are like.
If we don't do this, we will slip into this trap articulated by Osler, from whom you've already heard this morning, that engrossed, engrossed soon in professional cares, we may so lay to waste our powers that we find too late, with hearts given away, that there is no place in our habit-stricken souls for those gentler influences which make our lives worth living. <laughs>